Hello. Today I'm going to be reading Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. When Jesus heard what happened to John, Jesus left in a boat. He went to a lonely place by himself. But when the crowds heard about it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus arrived, he saw a large crowd. He felt sorry for them and healed those who were sick. Late that afternoon, his followers came to Jesus and said, No one lives in this place, and it is already late. Send the people away so they can go to the towns and buy food for themselves. Jesus answered, They don't need to go away. You give them some food to eat. The followers answered, But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus said, Bring the bread and the fish to me. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves of bread and the two fish. Then he looked to heaven and thanked God for the food. Jesus divided the loaves of bread. He gave them to his followers, and they gave the bread to the people. All the people ate and were satisfied. After they finished eating, the followers filled 12 baskets with the pieces of food that were not eaten. There were about 5,000 men there who ate, as well as women and children. Thank you, Kira. Good morning, everybody. Well, we are wrapping up a four-week series that we've been calling Restart, Rethink, and Renew. And we've been talking about the ingredients of a new beginning. And today we're looking at focus. And the renewal we find when we focus on others. See, part of what makes restoration unique is that we say we are increasingly Christ-centered people with an others-oriented focus. So, what does that exactly mean? Well, it means when you look at Jesus' life, when you look at his ministry on earth, and when you look at the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the ones that talk about Jesus' ministry, everywhere you see Jesus was moved with compassion, you see action. Jesus felt something, therefore he did something. Jesus' compassion was connected to action. And compassion means in the scriptures like a yearning in your guts, which probably sounds weird, right? No, maybe. Well, it actually, that's what it means. It means like your intestines are rumbling inside of you. It's not just an ache for you, though. It's an ache that's deep down for someone else. It means to feel something deeply and be moved to action. So it's not just an emotion. And if you're a note taker, you could write down, real compassion demands action. I think it's even on the screen. See, look at that. Real compassion demands action. Like, look, for instance, at Mark 1, 40 through 42. We'll put it on the screen. A man who had a skin disease came to Jesus, and on his knees, he begged Jesus. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can do it. And Jesus was filled with compassion. And he reached out, and he touched the man, and he said, I am willing. Be clean. And right away, the disease left him, and he was healed. Compassion, action. Or look at... Matthew 20, verses 30 34. There's two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David. That's like calling him king. King Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. See, real compassion demands action. To say that we care... But to not care, or to not act, is to not care at all. I'll say that again. To say that you care, but not act, is really to not care at all. 
that's kind of part of our problem. The University of Michigan did a study, a comprehensive study of 14,000 college students from 1979 to 2009. Now I realize that was a long time ago, but 1979 to 2009, and they found that there has been this drastic decline in empathy. In fact, their results showed that college students care 40% less than they did in the 80s. And I can tell by some of your facial expressions that you're adding to that statistic by not caring about that statistic, <laughs> right? 40% is almost half, that's kind of a big deal. They use this scale of one to five, one being strongly disagree, five being strongly agree to questions like this. Sometimes I try to understand my friends better by looking at things from their perspective. Yeah, I do that, or no, not so much. Or I often have tender, concerned feelings about people less fortunate than me. Yeah, I mean, that's the sharp decline in empathy. 40% fewer young adults are saying, yeah, I care about people less fortunate than me. So why the sharp decline? Why 40%? The researchers noted three possibilities. One, they said, well, young people are growing up in a highly competitive culture with a hyper focus on success. So listen to former college coach and now speaker and author John O'Sullivan describe the hyper-competitive youth environment of today. And as far as being competitive, I spent the last 20 years coaching elite youth soccer players. I spent four of those years as a Division I college men's soccer coach. So I know a little something about competitive athletes and what I saw on that 10-year-old boys game and what I see in so many sports all around the country, that is not it. These kids aren't becoming more competitive. They're not becoming better. They're becoming bitter. And they're dropping out of sports, seven out of 10 of them. Now, what we've come to accept is this new environment in youth sports would never be acceptable anywhere else in life. We'd never accept it in our workplace. We'd never tolerate if our teachers treated our kids like this. And we would certainly never tolerate it if our children treated us in our events like we treat them. <laughs> Can you imagine what that would feel like in your golf game or your tennis match if our children <laughs> treated us? Well, <laughs> our friends at Hockey Canada, they've imagined such a thing. Check it out. Come on, Dad, focus. Why do you dance a little? Don't slouch. And don't screw up. This is the big league. What are you doing? Keep around the ball. A little bit of truth there? And see, it's not just sports where we're finding this hyper-competitiveness or this hyper-focus on success. We, um, the second thing that the researchers found is that a constant exposure to pain and suffering desensitizes us. We're, we're exposed to three times more media content and non-work-related information than we were 30 years ago. Now, I'm kind of surprised that it's only three times as much. 
And in terms of media content, they're not just talking about Mortal Kombat, Call of Duty, or Fortnite. They're talking about violent video games, in case you're not sure. They're talking about anything where we see pain and suffering. The more pain we see, the harder it is to care. So when I was a child, I had to watch commercials. Like, I didn't have skip ad. So, I mean, that's another story. But every once in a while, there would be this, like, UNICEF or CCF, Christian Child's Fund, commercial that would come on, and it would show uh, a starving child from Africa that was really skinny. There were flies buzzing around his or her head, and the voiceover would talk about the dirty water that they had to drink and the lack of food that they had access to. And it disturbed me so much that I often had to change the channel because I felt guilty living in my nice house with cupboards full of food. But now I can see that every day, all the time, all around the world. I mean, think about it. I can see it on social media. I can see it when a friend goes on a mission trip or when there's news coverage of a war-torn country like Syria. I can see it in a friend's adoption story. I can see it on cell phone videos of hurricanes or tsunamis or tornadoes, all of which I think I've seen in the last week and a half. I mean, I see picture after picture and post after post, and honestly, it bothers me a lot less than it used to because of this constant exposure that I become desensitized to. And the third reason that they noted of why there might be this sharp decline in empathy is that, I like how they put it, we're more obsessed with ourselves. I mean, the researchers noted that college students today may be so busy worrying about themselves and their own issues that they don't have time to spend empathizing with others or at least perceive such time to be limited. So for all of you in the room who are younger than college, You've grown up with a word that is really new to the people that are older than college students, and the word is selfie. Okay? Like, when I was a kid, it was not normal to turn the camera on yourself. We just didn't do that. But that's part of today, so I decided to do a little research on the most popular types of selfies. So, first, you know, there's the standard smiling selfie. I got that one wrong. Um... (laughs) You know, but then there's the me and my bestie selfie, or BFF. It works. It's more popular if you look at the camera together, not the screen. Um, Or if you have matching outfits on. Now, then they get a little more. Then there's the me and my friend selfie. I think we got this one right. There's, they get a little more advanced, though, because you've got the, uh, we've got great seats at the game. I bet you're sitting at home selfie. I know some of you have done this one. Or the uh, me and my food selfie. It's the ice cream bar. And the, um, now this one is really advanced. Usually girls are better at it than guys, but I tried the best I could to get the duck face selfie right. (laughs) And I mean, I haven't even gone to me and my cute pet selfie, or the I just woke up selfie, yes, there is one, the new haircut selfie, or the um, I'm rocking this outfit selfie that has a cool case, if you do it. So, 
I mean, this is our, this is our world. You can change the picture now. <laughs> this, is, this is the world that we live in. Is it not? So we've got this sharp decline in empathy. We've got a world where really, if you think about it, most of the social media that people consume is directed at themselves. So the more we use social media for ourselves, the less we care about others. So we live in a me-oriented world. We want to be Christ-centered people with an others orientation. And yet our world is all focused towards us. So now um, we're going to pass out some to-do list sheets that are going to come down the aisles. And what I want you to do is I want you, no matter how old you are, if you can write, and if you can't, then someone that's bigger than you or near you that, that you know will help you. I want you to just think about and write down what you have to do tomorrow or what you have to do next week. You know, some of you have music, sports, school, work, things at your house. Just go ahead and write down what you have to do. And if, you, if, you, if your list is already going, you can write it on the back of your worship folder while you're waiting for the paper. Parents, help your little ones figure it out. Because when I look at my list, it is really really long. In fact, usually it's so long that I get overwhelmed and want to put it away and ignore it. And I meet lots and lots of people who have long, long to-do lists. Oh, see, some of you, you're using it on your phone. Yep, that's okay. I've got it on my phone, too. I've got it in two places, actually, but that's a little bit stressful because then I have to go look in two spots. I don't recommend that method. Oh, Lydia, don't cut it in half yet because we're going to need the other side. Yeah, the, don't worry. You want to be on the have-to-do side because that's part of our problem, or at least it's part of the, the phrase that I want you to catch, the have-to-do list. Because here's where these two concepts come just crashing together. We live in a me-oriented world, and we have this have-to-do list that gets super long, and so we can spend all of our time on our have-to-dos, thinking we're accomplishing all this stuff or not accomplishing all this stuff, but all the while, it's focused on us, and we never actually get to living out this greater purpose that goes beyond ourselves. I mean, the, the reality is, I believe with the depth of my soul that God designed us to join in what he is doing in the world, not just what we have to do. So you might flip that over and actually see what's God doing in the world. But think about this, in the scripture that Kira read to us earlier, Jesus has just heard some painful, painful news. His cousin, 
John the Baptist, one of the few people that I think understood who Jesus was and what he was supposed to do, has just been killed. And he gets in a boat alone to go to a quiet place. And some of you, you're in a place where you have bad news. You're in a place where you know there's tough stuff around you, and you need to just find that quiet place. Jesus goes to this boat. He finds the quiet place. I think he gets in the boat alone because it was a quiet place, because he knew that staying isolated too long wasn't going to be healthy. But he knew he needed a moment. He needed some time to be by himself, to be with, really, his heavenly Father, And so he goes in the boat. The boat provides that quiet place because when he gets to shore, the people followed him. They land. He sees the crowd. He has compassion on them, and he gets back in the boat. It gets some distance. No, that's not what he did. He started opening up their social media and giving them thumbs up and praying for you. No, that's not what he did either. He had compassion on them. He took action by healing them face-to-face with this crowd for who knows how long. But we get the sense that it's a majority of the day. Jesus had moments to be with him by himself, moments to heal so that he could focus on others. He understands that real compassion demands action, but Jesus did more than heal them. I want you to notice this, because sometimes we think it's enough to see someone who's hurting and say, hmm, you need Jesus. You need Jesus to heal you. And I believe that with the bottom of my heart, with all my soul, that we do need Jesus to heal us. But just saying, go let Jesus heal you, is not the only thing Jesus did in this story. Because Jesus' followers were around, and how I'm putting it is they wanted to drop off the problem instead of join in. If Jesus would have had a car, they would have said, Jesus, why don't you just drive everybody into town, drop them off so they can pick up some food? That's where it goes in the story. Jesus, don't you see that, that it's getting late, that all of these people need to eat? So send them away. Send them away so that they can find food. There's no fast food restaurants. It's getting dark. This is why I think Jesus wants more than just to heal them, even though healing them is ultimately important. He wants them to join in. You give them something to eat. You join in. Well, they don't need to go away. But we only have five loaves and two fish, they replied. And I think the next comment was going to be, and that's not even enough for us. How many of you have felt like that? Like, there are so many needs around me, God, and I don't have enough, even for me. Whether it's my friends at school, or employees at work, or the people who live with or near you. There are so many things going on, and I don't have enough, even for me. But just notice how Jesus wants us to join in. Because he says, bring what you have to me. So again, if you're a note taker, you can write down, bring it to Jesus. Take what you know is not enough and bring it to Jesus. It could be your lunch. 
that's what people think it was in this story. But it might be your talents, or your finances, or your family time, or your volunteer hours. In fact, I would invite you, challenge you to ask Jesus, what do you want me to bring to you? And Jesus directed the people to sit down. He took the loaves and fish. He looked up to heaven and gave thanks, and he broke it into pieces. See, after we bring it to Jesus and we let Jesus have it, we also need to let him bless it and break it. This is what Jesus always did. Think about this. He, he took and thanked God for what he knew was not enough. And he asked God to bless it. I've started to try this in my life, and it's pretty incredible what happens when I offer to God what I know is not enough, and I ask him to bless it, it becomes way more than enough. I don't know what you bringing it to Jesus and letting him bless it and break it looks like for you, but I know for me it's been my vocation, it's been my time, it's been my talents things that often I think are not enough. And then notice that he gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the people. Once we've offered it to Jesus, we've let him bless it and break it, we receive it back, not for ourselves, but to give and share with others. We receive it and share it. The disciples were the ones who gave it to the people. That's what it means to join in God's work. Not to worry about if it's enough or if we're gonna have enough or if there will be enough. He just wants us to join in. And when we do, God, we experience God's power, his miracles, his miraculous power by focusing on others. We experience renewal. We experience a new beginning, actually. And when you offer your service to God and others, he changes you. It's one of the reasons that we ask everyone who attends restoration or finds restoration as their home to serve in an area they're needed and in an area they're gifted. Not all the time, but regularly, because it helps us focus on others. An area where needed, an area where gifted, will have to rely on his power we'll eventually come to a place where we know we don't have enough and then we'll experience his renewal. We'll experience the changes that we need. So as you look at that God's to-do list or what's God's doing list, what are some things that you might write down there? You can see places to write it down. It might be joining a small group. We've got life groups, we've got disciple groups, we've got Bible studies. You will experience God's power in those places. It might be a place to serve. I had an experience last week in a conversation where somebody was helping our kids director organize different spaces in our church. And he's like, all I did was help figure out where kids can go best and get some dividers. But then this parent came in and like just stopped in their tracks, got tears in their eyes and said, this is amazing. 
My kid's gonna be safe and loved. I can worship God in this space and not worry. That person said to me, thanks for letting me be a part of God's miraculous power. Sometimes I think it's just a task. This is what happens when we join in. And this is what happens, this is what happened actually to uh, second year pro quarterback Carson Wentz. Some of you might know the story, but last December, as he was blazing towards the playoffs with his team, he was leading many of the MVP polls for the season until he dove across the touchdown line and had his ACL and LCL ripped open. And four plays later, he limped off the field fearing that his season was going to be over. And it was. And he said everything that followed that game, everything that his teammates accomplished, that he knew they couldn't have done without him, but yet seeing the, the stellar play of his backup quarterback the next week and then the tremendous play of him throughout the playoffs actually upsetting the New England Patriots to Super Bowl 52. He said it was just this mixture of highs and lows, and it was messy. Like, yes, he was happy for his team, but he wanted to be playing, not watching. He wanted to be leading. And he was sitting out. He got married last summer. That was a huge high, but the wedding and the honeymoon were right during this painful rehab, and he was, which was a huge low. He still wasn't healthy enough to start week one, which was another disappointment, which was another excuse to run and hide, which was another excuse to feel isolated. And some of us, we're going through pain and we get isolated or we feel isolated. And that would be a normal response, except that's not what Carson did. Instead, what he did is he renewed his focus on others. He, he committed to a sh- charity softball game that he still went to that saw over 25,000 people attend it. They raised over $850,000 for charity. $850,000, that's kind of a lot of money. Then Carson presented a $520,000 check from his own nonprofit, Audience of One, to the Mission of Hope Haiti so they could build a new sports complex. And then at the end of the summer, his foundation and his church actually teamed up to start a food truck outreach that had its first experience less than a month ago. So take a look at this video. Carson here at the kickoff of Thy Kingdom Crumb opening night. Tell us the genesis of this truck, everything behind it. I mean, we're real excited. We announced it uh, in June, kind of a vision um, that their lead pastors have had for a long time of doing a food truck, um, to be able to go around to, to places in need and provide free food, but also provide uh, the love of Christ. So we just came together, and uh, here we are at Thy Kingdom Crumb. And the name, Thy Kingdom Crumb, was, uh, who came up with that? Coming up with names might be the hardest thing. Uh, we had this group text thread going for quite a while. Um, and finally, one night, it, it kind of hit me, and I, I sent the text, and everyone loved it, and it stuck. I just want to come out here and support them, and just to be out in the community celebrating with people, loving on people. I mean, the message of our faith is paramount to us. It's night one. It's opening night. It, it, it's a success. 
but now we gotta, I gotta be your coach, right? I gotta push you forward. Where, where do we see this thing going? What's the goal? I mean, I think the biggest thing is sharing the love of Christ. You know, we're gonna provide them food, um, and we, we believe that'll physically fill a need, but um, we wanna fill a, a spiritual need along the way, and we'll just see with more donations and how much we can bring in to, to just provide, maybe a couple times a week, and, and Lord knows if this'll, uh, you know, take off and be a multiple food truck type thing in multiple locations. We're, we're creating the blueprint as we go here, so it's pretty fun. Why is it important for you to say, no, I'm going to connect with community? The longer I've been here, the more I've just felt um, a passion and a real connection with this city. And uh, just you see a lot of need in places and just want to make a difference and just really uplift people and provide something different. And so uh, just being able to connect with the, the blue-collar work ethic and provide some love and a little, uh, a little food along the way um, definitely resonated with me, and, and we're really excited about where it's going. They didn't look easy. When you've got Carson Wentz, a lot of things can look what you see in that story, and really what you see in Jesus' story, and I think in our story, is that suffering does not have to isolate us. See, when we join in instead of sit back, when we offer to what we have to Jesus that we might think is not enough, when we let him bless it and break it, when we receive it back and then share it with others, we're the ones who are renewed and restored and today we're going to do that in a small, simple way with communion. There's three stations, one, two, and in the back, three. And if you have a gluten sensitivity, then come right over to this station on your left. And there'll be elements there that are available to you. And when you reach the station, come in from the right, go all the way around to the left. Your communion servers are actually going to be more like host today. They will help you in serving each other. So you'll serve the person on your left. After you've eaten the bread and the juice, the person who served you will hand you the two bowls so that you can turn and serve the person on your right. When you reach out the... So you take, and then when you reach out the bread, you say, the body of Christ given for you and you let the person take a piece. Then you reach out the juice and say, the blood of Christ shed for you. You let the person dip the bread in the juice and partake. It'll take a little longer because the person will be chewing before they can say the words, but it was the simplest way that we could go through it. And what you'll find, I believe, as you share the elements with your neighbor, is that Jesus really is present. That we are joining in his work. After you're served, you may return to your seat. The next group can start to come around the table and then the communion hosts will start the train again. We encourage children to participate, but we leave it up to parents as to determine when they are ready to take communion. So if you've never had a conversation about that, uh, Christine or I would love to help you with that conversation. Now, hear the words of our Lord Jesus. It says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you that I will not eat this meal again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
That night, Jesus took the bread and he lifted it up before them and he broke it and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is our communion. Jesus gave himself, which many people say would not be enough. And in his death, he was broken. And yet in his resurrection, he was blessed and he became more than enough for us. This is the story that we are invited to invest our lives in, put our lives in, find our meaning and our purpose in. And so as you come to the table today, remember it is the crucified and risen Lord Jesus who invites you to the table. It's open to all who believe and profess faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me and then you may come around the tables when you're ready. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for being present in this service and in your word, in our praise. God, we acknowledge that you are here. Where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of them. God, I pray that you are here with us now and I pray that you would hear us because God, as a society, we care less than we used to care. But God, we don't want that to be true about us. I don't want that to be true about me. God, so I pray that your spirit would just have permission in my life. I pray that those seated would say that too. Spirit, have your way in my life. God, make me more compassionate. God, help me to see and be moved to act. God, even if it's inconvenient, even if it costs me something, I want to use my life to care for others, to have an others-oriented life, to join in what it means to restore lives, God, to be a part of your kingdom. So create a hunger in us, God, to know you more, to give you what we know isn't enough, because you can make it more than enough. God, help us to see that when we serve others, we're actually serving you. God, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, to turn ourselves around. And we know, God, that your compassion is what never, ever fails. And we can't turn ourselves on our own. We need you to take our lives, God, and to make them new. And so we pray, God, for everyone sitting here, I pray that you would turn our lives, that you would make them new. God, for someone that's never understood Jesus' story and maybe today heard something that made it click today, I pray that they would trust you today. That they would say, Jesus, you are the one who is enough. That you are the one who came and lived this perfect life and died an innocent death, a brutal death for us, but yet you were raised to life and you offer yourself for us. And I accept that. Holy Spirit, come into my life, fill me up, make me new. 
God, there's nothing I can do to make you love me more. And there's, yet there's nothing I can do to make you love me less. You love, you love me. You love us. I pray that we would receive that love in communion today. Receive it from our, our family, from our spiritual friends. That our to-do list and our have-to-do list would become what you're doing list. Amen.